Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. Today is Friday, July 8th, 2022. And you are, as I said, listening to another new episode. My name is Mike Wynn. I am the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield and one of the co-producers and co-hosts of this allegedly weekly radio program. Uh, We have a special guest rejoining us in studio this morning. But before we get to our guest, let's get a check of the weather, talk about some news items, and then we'll get to the program. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 80s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Lows in the upper 50s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny. Highs in the upper 70s. North wind around 5 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. All right. Again, good morning. What's going on in the news? Well, I think the first law enforcement department related news that we should talk about is a story from this morning's Berkshire Eagle. Uh, we covered recently that in a recent homicide case that was worked by the Pittsfield Police Department that the defendant, J.C. Chadwell, was acquitted. Uh, this morning's Eagle has a follow-on story uh, regarding um, the defendant's sister who is being charged separately in connection with that investigation. It's an interesting article. You can check it out in today's Eagle. Uh, In a story also from this morning's Eagle that is significant for me personally, I'm waiting to see. The state Senate approved a bill yesterday. Uh, It's got to go through the House and see uh, if it can make it to the governor's desk in time to be signed before July 15th. Essentially, it's a bill extending some of the pandemic provisions, including the provision for remote learning or remote meetings. And the only reason I highlight that is in my new role as a commissioner on the Peace Officers Standards and Training Commission. Um, Our new offices are in Boston, but we're still able to meet remotely and have hearings remotely. And on July 15th, if that isn't extended, um, all of my, my meetings, which they're not many, but it's several a month, will then shift to Boston. So I'm eager to see if I'm going to be spending a couple days a month in Boston uh, doing work on behalf of the commission, but um, I guess we'll find out next week. Let's see. What else do we have in the news? Oh, this is interesting. So Tuesday, I was at a reception at City Hall uh, Tuesday morning in recognition of a contingent from Pittsfield's Irish sister city, uh, but I think it's pronounced Ballina. Ballina, Ireland. And so their mayor and the executive director of their county council were here with some other uh, residents visiting us. They had um, done some visits in the county and come in via Boston and they marched in the 4th of July parade and on Tuesday we had a ceremony recognizing them. But we also received an invitation. So um, next year will be the 300th anniversary of the city municipal government of Ballina. Obviously as a you know, old Irish community. It's been there for much longer than 300 years, but 300 years of organized government. And it will also be the 25th anniversary of the signing of the agreement between Pittsfield and Ballina. So they've got all kinds of things planned and they extended an invitation, you know, to everybody to to come and celebrate with them all year long. But then as I was getting ready to go back to the office, I had a brief conversation with the mayor and he's like, please bring some police officers to our city. We would love to have our police interact with your police. And obviously in Ireland, it's federal police. It's a national police service. But I have a colleague and a mentor who recently returned from Ireland. He's a criminal justice professor and a consultant. And he was over there doing some work with the Garda on development of crisis intervention teams and co-responders. And so my wheels started turning because obviously we have some experience with that. So we have to take a contingent of PPD 
representatives to <laughs> Ireland next year. So stand by on that. We'll find out what, if that's going to happen or not. So <laughs> Lieutenant Hill is on the board. He's all in. International man of mystery, Lieutenant Matt Hill. <laughs> Traveled as often recently. All right. That's all I've got for this morning. Um, let's get started. <clears throat> so we have a returning guest joining us in studio this morning. Our guest is Lieutenant Tara Carlo of the Massachusetts Environmental Police. Welcome back, Lieutenant. Thank you. Very think, happy to be here. I think I mentioned during the episode the last time you were here that I had the pleasure of driving out to New Braintree to teach one class <laughs> in your time in the academy. Yeah. And uh, if memory serves me correctly, it was a cultural, uh, cultural diversity and bias crimes class. And I always ask a question when I'm going over the bias indicators. So any biologists in the room? One time in my entire tenure as an instructor, somebody answered yes, and it was you. Oh, my God. And then uh, I had a mistake on my slide about uh, classification of, of species, and you corrected it for me. So I appreciate that. Hopefully discreetly. I yeah. can't remember. <laughs> it, I, it, was, it was a clear error. My memory of my biology in high school was not great, but you fixed it for me. So I appreciate that. Good. All right, so welcome back. <clears throat> Thank you. How are you? Um, very busy. We're very busy this time of year. This is a very, very busy time for the Mass Environmental Police. Yes. So for our new viewers and listeners who maybe haven't <clears throat> had access to or didn't listen to the, the first episodes you were on, I always, it's, it's always amazing to me when I interact with the Environmental Police about the vast jurisdiction that you have compared to many other police agencies. So can you just describe the organization and talk about your jurisdiction? Because sure. technically, you have more jurisdiction than the Mass State Police. Well, I think that's a, that's a big fallacy. With some search and seizure pertaining to fish and wildlife, you know, like say you have a, a deer hanging in your backyard in July, we can go and trespass on your property to check the deer for tagging. We don't need to have a warrant to do that. So for search and seizure, pertaining to fish and wildlife. Um, there's a little bit broader of a spectrum, but that does apply to local police and state police can enforce these laws as well. So yeah, you want me to just- Thanks for clarifying that. Cause <laughs> I, I, I misunderstood that since I worked with Glenn Lagerwald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just I, talk about the organization in general and what you do. Sure. So throughout the country, we're known by different names. You have conservation officers, or now with all the TV shows, you know, Northwoods Law or the Texas and Louisiana shows, um, game wardens. People are starting to remember what game wardens are. But there's every state, every Canadian province, there's a, a law enforcement agency similar to what we are. We're just called different names. And in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, too, we're called environmental police. So we're basically a specialized police force, which in Massachusetts, we fall under um, the EOEEA, which is the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs. <laughs> I know it's quite a mouthful. Um, <coughs> But basically, we're the law enforcement arm for our sister agencies, which is DCR, so like all the state forests and parks, um, fish and wildlife, marine fisheries, and the Department of Environmental Protection. So we do have all law enforcement powers, um, just as typical police officers do. You know, you mentioned I was in the police academy. I, I was in there with, um, I think, five Pittsfield officers and two Adams police officers. So we work shoulder to shoulder, and, you know, we have all arrest powers, um, motor vehicle which a lot of people don't realize you know i try not to do it often but if i see a vehicle speeding or you know running a stop sign i have all the authority to pull that person over and issue the same motor vehicle citations that a local or state officer does but we try not to do that unless it's you know a, an egregious safety issue because you know we should be focusing on our more mission activities which is you know everything related to hunting fishing trapping um, nuisance animals, injured animals. Our biggest thing is we are the off-highway vehicle, so ATVs, dirt bikes, snowmobiles, and we're the boating law administrators for the state. So that means that we do all the re regulations, we create them, um, we do all the registrations for those vehicles, all the toys that people have yeah. this day and age, everyone has them. And we, we're the primary enforcement for those as well. So I'm sure during the program we'll talk about you know, some of the enforcement we're doing in Pittsfield on the water and in the woods of the city. So you mentioned something in, in your overview that I don't know that I was aware of. Maybe I just didn't occur to me. So you also mentioned that you're the enforcement 
the law enforcement arm for the Department of Environmental Protection. Yeah. How much time does the agency have to spend working like just on environmental protection violations? Yeah. So we have, I think, um, between two to three officers, it varies, who are on a specialized task force with the uh, attorney general's office and they work with uh, state police on large scale environmental crimes. So say if somebody uh, was contracted to tear down a school that has asbestos, and they take that material and they go throw it in the woods and you know it's in the environment then that's something our officers will work on we try not to get involved with the you know my my neighbors driving through the wetland okay. that's what you know cities and towns set up with their conservation, conservation commission. commission so they that's where we try to send those primarily but we can assist with that we can you know cite under chapter 91 so we can do that as well so a pretty broad mandate of responsibilities for the agency across the entire Commonwealth, which yeah. is 300 and some odd, you know, cities and towns and, you know, God knows how many square miles. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> how many officers in the environmental police? So I did make a note here that um, so Massachusetts, we're not a very big state, but we're the third most populated in the whole country. So we're we got a lot of people jam packed and really tight. Um, I think there's about 7 million people in Massachusetts. There's probably between two to 3,000 state police. And in Massachusetts, we only have 86 environmental police. So your agency is comparable <clears throat> to our agency. Exactly. But you have a much wider mandate of mm -hmm. enforcement responsibilities across the entire state. In larger areas, too. So I'm the lieutenant for our Charlie One, which is kind of the northwest corner of Massachusetts. And I oversee 33 towns. So we cover from basically um, Pittsfield North all the way out to Orange, Massachusetts. And I have, I'm supposed to have six officers working underneath me and right now I only have four. So some days, you know, I could be the only officer on and if I'm on a boat on Anota Lake and I get a call about someone who just shot a deer in Orange, you know, my response time is gonna be an hour and a half. And that's what- All of that, yeah. Yeah, and that's what the public, is, it's tough for them to understand sometimes. You know, they're, they're used to calling local police where your response is, could be five, 10 minutes. And, you know, for us, it's harder to get there right away. So for a call like that, I mean, I know that <clears throat> when the environmental police are in, in Pittsfield, we do a lot of joint work or, um, you know, we'll, if we can, we'll hold scenes for you. Like for that situation, because Orange is a small PD too. In that hypothetical, if you had to respond out there with Orange PD, hold that scene yeah. until you got there. Yeah, we we do make that request. I feel I feel pretty bad doing it because I want to be there. Right. I wish I could be there instantaneously. But if we can at least get a local or a state police officer there right away and at least secure the machines that are involved, or you know, get license plates or separate witnesses before we can get there. I mean, we'll pick it up once we do. But it's we do rely on local police to to help us in these investigations all right i always find it fascinating when i get a chance to talk to an environmental police department member it's it's just in hindsight i probably should have done that like give it <laughs> give what it, everyone says yeah given all of my interests coming up with backpacking and all that stuff <laughs> i probably would have had a lot more fun <laughs> um so lieutenant hill uh reached out and asked you to join us we really we've got it's this time of year where as an agency, we contend with two basic areas that bump up against the EPOs that we don't have the resources to deal with. Uh, the first one is activity on and around our waterways, which we've made some improvements in the last several years, but we just, you know, we don't have the personnel and necessarily the time. So can you spend a little bit of time talking about, um, well, let's start with something that I know you shared with our command that it starts with education, right? Like oh, education yeah. around what is and isn't permissible on the waterways, and then what the mm -hmm. environmental police expect and, and where we can intersect and how we can assist you in enforcement on our, our lakes and ponds. Yeah, so um, the, the different <clears throat> thing about um, you know, AT operating off-highway vehicles and vessels is that unless you are a child, there's really no license required or no educational requirement. So we find people who, especially during COVID, they were getting some money, extra money from the government. They were looking to buy a kayak or a canoe or a snowmobile, and um, they have no information at all on the laws or the safety equipment or anything so we usually start out doing a lot of education we have these really great booklets i hand out 
The boating one is awesome because if you flip to the back, actually gives you a checklist of all the safety equipment you're required to have on your vessel. And those are all the things we look for when we do our inspections. So we like to start out with education. I'll give those books out. I mean, it may be accompanied with a written warning. Sometimes if it's egregious enough, like operating a machine without a helmet, I think everyone knows you need a helmet. So you may get a citation yeah. along with the book. But the court systems like to see that, you know, we educate the public first before just citing them. And some of these fines are outrageous for you know, ATVs and dirt bikes and snowmobile violations. So we like to do graduated enforcement, you know. So you, because you, you know, you <clears throat> work in this environment, you refer to vessels and, and I have a little bit of maritime background. Vessels is everything from stand-up paddleboard or a one-person kayak up into a ship. Right. It's every, if yes. it floats, it's a vessel. Well, not if it floats. So <laughs> if, you know, if somebody is right next to the shore and they have a tube okay. and they're just paddling right. with their hands, we yeah. don't really count Con that as a vessel. But if you have a paddle, you're transiting a body of water and, you know, the, the best vessel that, you know, it comes in kind of a gray area for the public, not for us, is those stand up paddle boards. Got it. If you're in the surf zone using it as a surfboard, then it's not a vessel. Not a vessel. But if you're paddling across a lake then it is a vessel, which means you need, you know, everyone needs to have a, a life jacket. And then if you're out at night, you actually have to have lights on it. And some type of signaling device, right? Yeah, a whistle it, or a horn or something. Yeah. And surprisingly, our boating under the influence law was written for vessels. So if you're drunk on a kayak and, you know, we catch you or you flip over and you almost cause an accident, we can cite you and arrest you for operating under the influence on a kayak. So many years ago now, I was setting up a couple of kayaks. So I purchased a couple of kayaks, one tandem and uh, one solo that could uh, carry a dive rig. And uh, I was with a family member and we're buying the equipment for the kayaks. And you know, my family member's like, well, I know we need a paddle and we need PFDs. And I looked at it, I was like, we need a signaling device and a light. And this person was like, what are you talking about? It's a kayak. And I was like, it's a vessel, right? If you're out there, yeah. if you're out there at dusk, you need both of these things. Yeah, and that's currently, um, that's kind of my mission going forward the next two months is to be out there more on our lakes during nighttime. Because I've, I've worked, um, this last week, I did two night patrols on, one on Pontoos Lake, one on Anoda. And I was just, couldn't believe how many vessels out there did not have lights. And they could directly get run over yeah. by a motorboat. And the larger the the larger the vessel, the longer that list of equipment and safety oh, yeah. items that you have to have. Yeah, fire extinguishers and everything. But, you know, Pittsfield is so lucky. Um, you guys have a huge, really nice state forest, which is probably one of four or five in the state where you can lawfully ride machines. There's trails, and it's maintained for that. Um, and you have two really great bodies of water, outstanding fishing, beautiful public access ramps that hold more than 30 vehicles with trailers and it's mm -hmm. it just keeps us very busy pitfield <laughs> you know we could probably have a district we're, officer we're sorry just, <laughs> no don't apologize <laughs> it's i mean it's a great resource for you know the citizens and it is pitfield. a great resource the mayor will be happy to hear this positive report and oh, she's good. pushing our outdoor recreation opportunities yep. but it, i mean it is it's amazing that within the footprint of the city of pittsfield we have this this gem of a state forest, uh, one of the oldest in the state forest system, and these two great ponds, these mountain lakes that are big enough for recreational boating. You know, not, not large vessels, but fairly large vessels and fast vessels. Um, but having those opportunities means we also have some of the problems associated oh, with yes. that. Yeah, and they do draw people from all over Massachusetts. I mean, especially during uh, when COVID first happened, you know, a lot of people were not taking vacations. They were doing staycations. So I encountered more people underway on Pontusic and Anoda that were coming from Springfield or even out towards Boston mm -hmm. to recreate. You don't think about that. Like, go to Quabbin. If you live that far away, go to Quabbin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you were out on a couple night patrols, and lights was one of the, oh, the yeah. issues that you came up with. What else did you encounter when you were out there? Um, so we, if people don't know, we actually have two 18-foot Boston whalers that um, we keep on the water on Pontusic and Anoda. So they're ready at a moment's notice if we have to respond to an accident or, you know, for our patrols. So we go out... Um, and yeah, I was out during the day, so during daylight, and then my patrol shifted to overnight, right? Goes right from the official sunset time. You have to have your navigation lights on. So 
Probably most of the vessels that take up our time are jet skis. And I mean, you can't blame people because they're fun, they're fast, they're maneuverable, but they're also very dangerous if people don't know how to operate them. And like I said, if you're, you know, a 21 year old adult, you have, you don't need a license. You don't have to have a day on the water prior to purchasing one of these machines. So we usually watch them for activity and make sure, you know, there's certain laws relating to distance and speed. Um, we do have a statewide speed limit on the water, which is 45 miles an hour. So, you know, occasionally we go out there with actually um, a LIDAR and a radar gun and we'll they use it more on the Connecticut River because you have, you know, seven miles of river where you can really open it up. So we watch for that. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the things people buy jet skis for to do, you can't do in Massachusetts. So you can't jump wakes of another boat. You can't follow behind like this is really dangerous if somebody's towing a tuber or a skier and the jet ski comes up behind them I mean, easy to run them over you can't tow from a jet ski at all which is confusing for people so you can in connecticut so i used to have the lower section of the connecticut river and i would catch people crossing you know the boundary into massachusetts on the river towing a tube and i'm like surprised can't do it in mass um, but one of the biggest things that I, again, it's my kind of personal mission and the city of Pittsfield is really, um, doing a great job. We're all working together with the Harbor master and your officers who are on the, the Marine unit or go on the patrol boat. Um, those day use areas, um, mostly on a Noda. I mean, we see it a little bit on Pontusic, but what you'll find is people want to have a huge gathering. They want to have barbecue, cook food. They'll launch one jet ski and the rest of the family will go over to the swimming area and then they'll just take turns riding it from the beach. And that is such a dangerous practice. Um, the law says you're not supposed to have any motor boat. So that's even, you know, a pontoon mm -hmm. boat or anything with a motor has to be 150 feet away from that swim area. So you are, you are not supposed to dock any vessels or beach them right, right there where people are swimming. And right. I mean, it's kind of common sense, right? You wouldn't want to run somebody over, but it just, <laughs> we see so much of that over the weekends. So we've reached out and I know um, Pittsfield PD has to the Harbor Master to maybe put up some signage and help educate people on where they can and cannot beach their machines. So I just have to pick up on something because we've talked about this on the program in the past and I chuckle every time it boggles my mind that in the language of the mass general laws the city of pittsfield which is inland has a harbor master <laughs> but every community with a body of water has to have a harbor master yeah. and so our harbor master is also our director of um, open spaces parks and recreation uh, mr mcgrath and he's got to uh, i keep telling him i'm going to get him a little like yachtsman captain's hat <laughs> make it appropriate he wears many hats that's yeah, for sure yeah um but the harbor master is responsible for things like this education and, and signage um and the signage is important because if yes. it's not properly if it's not properly marked and it's not properly placed then your job gets impossible to do oh yeah it does we have to start <clears throat> at almost that lowest level of enforcement so that one jet ski they i had um on monday the fourth this woman was operating it up on plane so more than she had to have been going more than 30 miles an hour and she was only like 20 or 30 feet off docks. So, I mean, if she could have hit, if somebody was swimming and jumping off their dock, again, she needs to be 150 feet away. And I said, well, you know, where's your registration? We had to go to shore and I watched as she maneuvered that jet ski in between like the heads of swimmers at the beach. And so she came back out and talked to her and her husband. I said, you cannot do this. It's a very dangerous practice. That strikes me as it, it it strikes me yeah. as it should be common sense that you wouldn't do that, but common but, sense isn't very common. Yeah. And again, they were they said we're brand new owners of this machine. We don't know. So I can't, you know, I don't have the heart to issue them a $100 right. ticket right off the bat because they didn't know. And how could they know? It's kind of frightening. I mean, these are powerful machines yes. and there's no expectation of education. Well, yeah. So if, like I said, if you're, if you're a youth, if you're less than 18 years old, between 16 and 18 years old, you can operate a jet ski, but you have to have passed um, a boating safety course, which we teach for free in Massachusetts. I've actually, in the spring, like in March, um, I've taught one in Cheshire the last couple of years. So if people need a certificate or the education for that, um, we're always available. We teach them statewide. Um, 
but under 16 years old, no one is ever supposed to operate a jet ski. And I still see it out there. I see like a five-year-old on a jet ski working the throttles and, the, and you know, hands on the handlebars and the adult has their hands down by their side. Guess what? That's operation. What happens if you fall off and that kid is now on the machine by themselves? So we watch for that too. How often does that happen? Not that often, <laughs> but we have seen it. It's kind of frightening. Yeah. Um, so I, I think one of the things that our viewers and listeners may not be aware of is that, you know, we, we, we did buy a new boat a few years ago. We finally managed to get funding for that. We also keep it uh, on the water during the season. We selected, uh, re recruited, asked for volunteers, selected and trained up a handful of officers to, to operate that. But again, you know, we, we don't have the resources to necessarily do it. So one of the things we came up with a couple of years ago is we'll do partner patrols. Um, we'll provide you with somebody from the unit and they'll jump on a boat with you and go do a, uh, you know, a, a education and enforcement operation. Um, I've only got to do it once so far. <laughs> um, so how, how is that going? How, how's the support going? It's, it's going great, and I really appreciate it. And it's, if anyone's ever been underway on a boat themselves, you know how difficult it can be to tie your lines up or anything. But then just add having to write a citation. You have another vessel next to you. Um, you know, you're worried about wakes, wakes coming and smashing your boats together. And then if you have to tow that other boat or if you have to arrest that person, how can you handle two yeah. vessels and a potentially non-compliant person by yourself? It just gets, it's too difficult. But yet we do boat patrols by ourselves, And that's why we're, we're, we're very grateful when Pittsfield can accompany us. It's just better to have two eyes and four hands on a boat makes things a lot easier. Absolutely. Um, that that is one of the other things that always amazes me about the environmental police, and I'll, it always amazes me about any agency that has a large geographic area and works solo patrol. So I'll say the same for the the state police. Mm -hmm. You don't know where your backup's coming from, and you've got to do the same job that our officers, who are almost never without backup, have to do. And yet, you may have to do it miles away from any roadway or on a vessel in the middle of a body of water that we can't necessarily get to you if something goes sideways while you're out there. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's an amazing amount of responsibility, but it's also a huge officer safety thing. It is. Um, but that's where teamwork comes in. Yeah. You know, whenever I see like a local officer with their blue lights on or they're out talking to someone, I'll always stop and say, do you need a hand? Yeah. Do you need assistance? And, you know, and so when I, I need assistance, I don't feel too bad for asking because I know I always help. So your, your geographic area of responsibility is essentially the northwest quadrant of the Commonwealth. Yeah. And you have to do that with yourself and you said now four? Four officers. Yep. How many bodies of water are in your sector? Quite a few. I... I would say, you know, Pittsfield, your bodies of water are some of the busiest, but we do have another vessel out on, um, so we have probably seven or eight miles of the Connecticut River, so we have Barton Cove. We keep a vessel docked there right at the cove, and I mean, the French King Bridge always keeps us busy with, um, you know, vessels operating that area, and then we also have, I can't forget about this, the Deerfield River. It takes up a lot of our time, so all the white water rafting, we have like, I think five commercial companies that operate on the river now and it just gets overloaded with people and that's one of the few areas in our state boating regulations where alcohol is actually prohibited on the water so um like i worked july 3rd and i made a point of going out there and just reminding at 10 a.m the the zor um picnic area they have a beautiful picnic area people can day use for free I went around, I talked to 41 different groups from all over Massachusetts and just reminded them and said, listen, do not bring any alcohol out in the water. We don't want anyone falling off their raft or any fatalities on the river because it can get pretty busy and pretty dangerous. Um, and then we cover, oh my God, so we have the Hoosick River, you know, we have all the fishing and guide activities there. We have Windsor Lake up in uh, Windsor. We have Lake Madawa out in Orange. So we have a lot of smaller bodies of water, Lake Ashmere and Peru and Hinsdale that keeps us busy too. So even some of those smaller bodies of water, like, a like Ashmere, they're yeah. boatable. Like oh yeah. Um, There's a large, 
you know, resident population. There's a couple camps on there that have speedboats right. and they do towing. But there's also a public access ramp, which we patrol a lot too. Um, so there's state public access ramps. And these ramps, I, I love hanging out there in the summer because these ramps and their money were bought specifically for people launching and retrieving boats and fishing. So if you want to go swim or walk your dog, this is not, not the, the place, place to do it. And so that's why, you know, in Pittsfield, you guys have two beautiful public public access ramps where it was, a you know, a joint venture. I think um, the state initially did the installation and then you guys worked together to keep up, you know, the enforcement, signage and everything. That's what we're working with Mr. McGrath on. And I still see it. People go and they're they're picnicking. Their kids are swimming at the boat ramp yep. while people are trying to back down these huge, you know, 30 foot vessels. And it just can be dangerous. So if anyone goes to a public access ramp, the best thing is they usually have it listed on a brown sign of all the activities you can and can't do there. So that includes like no camping, no swimming, no, you know, dogs have to be on a leash, no loitering, no commercial activities. So it's there's a lot you can you can't do at boat ramps. It's a massive, massive set of, of regulations and responsibility. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're about halfway through. So, uh, Lieutenant, let's uh, get another check of the weather, listen to some PSAs, and we'll come back and talk about, what was the term you used? Off-highway vehicles? Yep. All right. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 80s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Lows in the upper 50s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny. Highs in the upper 70s. North wind around 5 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond, offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Pittsville residents, have you heard about Code Red? It's the city's emergency alert program, and it keeps you informed on the latest updates and notifications, including but not limited to weather-related emergencies, road closures, and water main breaks. So stay connected and be informed. Text Pittsville to 99411 to enroll or visit cityofpittsfield.org to sign up. Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. We all have busy lives and we're in a hurry to get to where we need to be. While driving, people are eating, drinking, talking, putting on makeup, doing their hair, checking social media, texting each other, all while the dog sits on their lap. The result is running red lights, stop signs, speeding, and finally crashing. Distracted driving is illegal. You can be ticketed or criminally charged. Please share the road and pay attention. Let's make sure everyone gets where they want to go safely. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. All right, we're back. Thanks for tuning in again for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and available on all of your popular podcast platforms. This, that station break um, made me sad, and then it made me chuckle. So it made me chuckle because when Sergeant Madalena gives that list of driving distractions and then he finishes with all with the dog sitting on their lap, that may be the funniest public safety PSA that we've done so far, but it's so true. 
it made me sad because we have that rotation, um, that ad slot that for uh, county ambulance. Um, and there was a story that broke recently from my friend Brian Andrews, the president and CEO of county ambulance, that they may have to shut down their chair car service um, because of lack of reimbursement during the pandemic. That's going to be a huge loss to the community. Makes me sad. Um, all right. So it is Friday, July 8th, 2022. If you've been listening, you know that our guest in studio is Lieutenant Tara Carlo of the Massachusetts Environmental Police. She's been educating us about vessel safety on the Commonwealth's waterways, coastal and inland waterways. But now we're going to change gears a little bit. Um, I, I always refer to them as off-road vehicles or wreck vehicles, but I guess I learned today that they are off-highway vehicles. Um, which is another issue that the, for the last, we've dealt with it for my entire career, but similar to what you were describing with the vessels during the pandemic, it just exploded. Um, whether it was, you know, as you said, people had a little bit of extra cash or they were just looking for opportunities to recreate outdoors in a way that they wouldn't be in tightly congested areas. Um, the use of these vehicles became prolific during uh, the last couple of years. And unfortunately, in the city of Pittsfield, a lot of that increased use was not in our beautiful jewel of a state forest that is manufactured trails and maintained for that. And we're on our urban residential streets. So we had to reach out for a little help. Yeah. Uh, and that help started with some education for some of our personnel because it's not something we get trained on in the academy. I think it's like 40 minutes of, you know, wreck vehicle law from somebody who probably does it as a hobby <laughs> so um it's not something that we have a, a lot of knowledge and expertise in so we're always grateful when we get some help good and some go-bys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i mean this isn't a unique issue people have been dealing with this in cities for a long time and you know we have it rampant in springfield and worcester and i know i see it on the news now over in albany it's the same issues and it just boggles my mind in pittsfield because you do have such a beautiful state forest i think they have like 30 or 40 miles of trails for people to ride for free like they don't have to pay to go there you just got to go to the trailhead that's the thing and around the state forest we're seeing a lot of local individuals just riding down the street to get to the state forest and public operation or public way operation is never okay unless you're crossing a trail directly to get to another trail on the other side but we see people you know right on north street right by when i'm at the pontusic boat ramp they're just ripping up and down hancock road and it's so it's so dangerous because you know these machines are not made for blacktop or concrete they're meant for off-road so they can't stop on a dime they're you know they could be pretty tall vehicles so there's a rollover concern and then we still have people operating with no helmets like um i think it was a month ago now right at the entrance to potter mountain trailhead and i think it's technically lanesboro pittsfield area we had a near fatality somebody got in an accident with no helmet on they were in a coma for a while so it just it boggles my mind you can yeah. do it that, that, safe. that is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. So unlike the vessels, there are some education and uh, age restrictions and training requirements. Oh, yeah. yeah, so um, anyone under 18 years of old, 18 years of old has to complete a safety course, which we teach. There's an online portion, and then you go in for a one-day, I don't even think it's a full-day class, where you learn the laws, you get to meet one of our environmental police officers, and then you're given an exam, and you're given a safety certificate. And then there's other requirements. So if you're between 14 and 16 years old, you have to be on a machine that's 90 cc's or less, and you have to be supervised. So you can't just buy your 16-year-old kid you know, an ATV and say, have a fun summer and let them loose. You can't do that. And anything, any person under 18 years old, um, the adults can be charged for these violations as well. And they're, so these fines were increased, I believe 15 years ago now. We had a five-year-old boy who was on a full-size machine and it rolled on top of him and he was killed. So there was a cry in the whole state to increase the, the fines and the laws. So at a minimum, any violation for our OHV, and that includes snowmobiles too, is $250. So often we encounter people um, unregistered, no helmet, on the public way. You're looking at a $750 citation. And just to be clear, because if memory serves me correctly, that fatal that you were just describing, that was 
that was on residential private property, oh, yeah. right? Um, you know, people were like, it's in my backyard. It doesn't matter, no. right? That's one of the things that yeah. I let off with is your jurisdiction is pretty expansive. Oh, yeah. And so anyone who can enforce these OHV laws, including local and state police, we can trespass on private property in the ability to enforce these laws. So we can walk. If we see your five-year-old on a full size or, you know, a machine that's not appropriate to their size, nobody's supervising them, we can walk right in your backyard and deal with the issue. But the public waste stuff really, you know, drives us up a wall um, because people, they're on the public way. I mean, what are they going to get in an accident with? A full-size motor vehicle. Right. And they're going to lose. They're going to be on the losing end of that battle. And these machines, they don't stop for us. They run from us. And that's when they could get in an accident, too. We don't want anyone to be wrapped around a telephone pole. Um, we were in the process of reopening North Street following the 4th of July parade. And we had a, a dirt bike operator come, basically come through our supervisory command post wheeling right helmet sitting on top of his head it's just insane it is and one thing i want to point out with these violations so you know 250 dollars that's going to be your first citation subsequent offenses for some of these jump up to a thousand dollars Wow. and the public way i always you know if i always talk to a local police department or state police and they have somebody on the road they reach out to us and say you know what can we cite them for i we always recommend citing for operation on a public we way is a uh, 90b section 25 if you get two of those they can petition the state to have that machine forfeited to the commonwealth so if you have somebody on the road they were cited once then you have them the second time you can apply to the court and have that machine taken by the state well, that's good to know yeah now depending and there's also license implications for some of these violations right yeah um especially yeah of course with the the oui stuff um with boating under the influence you know so back to boating i'm sorry i'm it's going back right. to boating so um it's implied consent same thing with motor vehicle if we think you're operating under the influence we arrest you we bring you to the station if you do not blow into the breath machine you automatically lose your driver's license for 120 days so our so with our citations whatever you know we cite you on our green citation books if you you can either pay it or appeal it but if you ignore it and i tell people i say do not ignore this ticket because our consequence is to file criminal charges and a lot of our stuff so all the fish and wildlife laws are criminal but we have the opportunity to go civil with that and that's usually the route we choose unless people poo-poo it or throw the ticket away then we we are bound to take out criminal charges so so we knock on your door to serve a warrant for yes. failure to pay a fine for fishing without a license it that's happens a, that's a bad day i know <laughs> We usually give people, you know, the court will call me and they'll say, hey, this person didn't pay the ticket. Sometimes I reach out and say, what are you doing? Either pay it or appeal it because you're going to have a warrant if you don't. They don't take it seriously. I can just imagine our anti-street crimes unit running a warrant list before they go out on operation <laughs> and they see that one. Fishing without a license. I mean, we don't. If we wanted to take someone criminally, we would have done it in the first place. Right. We don't want to see that happen when we write a civil ticket. But you know by force of them ignoring it we're forced to do that if you get locked up there for that you do not want to have to tell no. that to your cellmates <laughs> what no. are you in for fishing so one other thing i wanted to mention about atv use is um so it's never okay on a public way but on private property or you know somebody else's property or state properties you no matter where you are you have to have written permission on your person Okay, you can't just go into any state forest and ride unless there's trails designated for that such use. So you can't go to Savoy State Forest. It's closed to ATV use. Um, and if, you know, we have issues like on Chalet Wildlife Management Area, it's the largest in the state, thousands and thousands of acres, and people think they can ride just because there's trails there. That's not the case. So you have to have written permission from whatever landowner is there. Even if it's the Commonwealth, yeah, which you're not going to get if well, it's one of our state forests. You know who they do give permission to is snowmobiles. So okay. our snowmobile organizations, it's the Snowmobile Association of Massachusetts and all our local clubs, they're very organized. They have trail systems that go through state wildlife management areas, private property, but they work so well with landowners to get that permission every year. They maintain they, the trails. They do a lot of trail maintenance yes. in exchange for that. They so. do, yep. 
but unfortunately when the snow melts those trails are still there right and that's where we get a lot of illegal atv use okay so as far as the um the urban use particularly among some of our youth what what have you seen other communities do that maybe we're not doing yet that we should be looking at to kind of tamp this down well what i recommended is if you have because as soon as they see a marked cruiser they'll taunt you to chase them or they'll just take off on you so one of the best things is if you have unmarked units or people who could follow them and see where they go like if they go back to a resident or like in worcester and springfield or even boston we find that they have like a warehouse or storage okay. unit where they keep a bunch of these machines so they'll go back to that same spot um or if you, I know you guys have a drone in the city, you know, you could, I know some drones, you could lock it on a target and it will stay with that target. So if you have someone on an ATV, put the drone on them and find out where they go and then just go knock on the door. Or like I said, if you confirmed, no, that ATV went in the backyard of that property, you can trespass and go get it and deal with them. Smart Gary is all over this. <laughs> He's all over this. Yeah, I know Springfield, um, they've been doing a lot. I know like there's one um, fuel station that a lot of the ETVs go to, so they're trying to create a bylaw, or they have, to prevent that fuel I, station. I think from, they did. Yeah. I think they made it unlawful by ordinance. I think they made it unlawful to sell fuel to someone yes. on a off-highway vehicle within the city. So they're um, getting creative with it. Yeah, they're going to go fill a can. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But, I mean, we have people pull right up. Yeah. They do that with snowmobiles right on Pontusic because the yeah. snowmobile trail comes right to the lake. And then they go across and get gas. All right. Lieutenant, you've been real quiet over there. You got questions that I may not have thought of about the environmental police and the vessels and off-highway vehicles? No, I'm just kind of sitting here drinking this all in. <laughs> <laughs> you're drinking it all in now that you're in operational support and you're not going to have to worry about this. <laughs> so I can mention a couple things about like when we encounter these machines. So unlike uh, motor vehicle stops in a public way, there kind of has to be a reason why you're, why you're pulling them over. So for a lot of the things we enforce, the OHV vessels, and if you're a hunter or a fisherman, there, there does not have to be a violation. You just approach them. Yeah, because you're participating in a regulated activity where there's licensing, certification, or registration involved. So we do safety checks. If you're a hunter, you know we check all your licenses. We check what hunting implement you're using, what your catch is. Um, you know, measure fish. Same thing on the water. You know, if I pull a boat over to do a safety inspection right off the bat, people are like, well, what did I do? Well, you don't have to do anything. You're I, operating. Yeah. I want to make sure you have life jackets, you have your registration on board. And, you know, there's a whole list we go down. But, you know, people, you know, initially they get all tense, like, why are you stopping me? And there doesn't have to be a reason. I, I, I think the day that, it, I think it was the day we announced that we were going to be doing these joint patrols out there we brought both of our, our new boat and one of mm. your patrol boats out and i was with you briefly i think that's the part that i was both the most amused with and kind of surprised about is that people were surprised that we were pulling them over oh yeah they were like what is this and what what did i do I'm like nothing I know, and it's very yeah. difficult. I mean, if you have a motorboat, you kind of understand because you have to get it registered. Yeah. You understand we exist. But somebody who just buys, you know, a $200 kayak at Walmart, they have no clue. So they're like, what do you want yeah. with me? So I think the other cool part about that is because um, we stopped several kayakers that day. Mm -hmm. You sent one back to the beach oh, to get yes. their PFD. But you also lent somebody a PFD. Yeah. It's like, we're going to be out here for a while. Bring it back when you're done. <laughs> I know. So it's tough for us because it's almost like when you, when you stop, say you have a motorcycle on the road with no helmet. You stop him because of a safety issue. You can't let him continue because right. if he were to die. So same thing with we have many different things we can terminate people's voyages for. If you don't have navigation lights at night, you don't have a life jacket, you don't have a fire extinguisher, we can send you back to shore to fix it. So maybe you could go to the Anoda livery and purchase a life jacket, but we own you until you get to shore. So I have to follow you. And it's tough. These kayaks and canoes, um, you know, they get thoroughly insulted when I ask to see their life jacket. They say, yeah, I have one. And I said, well, show it to me because, you know, there's, it's got to be Coast Guard approved. It has to be in good condition. The zipper has to work and it has to be the correct size for you too. Appropriate for the person. Yeah. So let me tell you about one encounter I had, um, 
was Memorial Day weekend on Pontusic, and uh, a lot of people were seeing this. They're parking at the boat ramp, taking up those long trailer spots. They're parking one single vehicle, and then their friends on a pontoon are meeting them at the shore, and they're going Pick for a ride. Up. And, you know, those long trailer spots are for boats with trailers because they're very limited where they can park. We can actually tow those single vehicles out of their issue. I actually wrote a couple citations over the last weekend for that. Um, so I encountered this nice family going down um, to the water. Their friends were picking them up on a pontoon, and this woman had literally a 10-pound baby, brand new strapped to her chest you know in a carrier and i said i said ma'am where's your life jacket for the baby and they they held one up and it was totally it was like 30 to 50 pounds it was a youth life jacket if you put that on the baby it would fall slip right through slip right through and they didn't have it on and anyone under 12 years old on a vessel has to wear it the whole time they're underway so the woman wasn't even going to put it on the baby and i said she's like well i can swim anyways and i said well what happens if you're in an accident or you hit your head unconscious, you fall in, that baby has no chance. Yeah. So that kind of sent me up, set me off. Um, so I told them, I said, here are your options. Go buy an infant life jacket or the baby does not get underway. And they looked at me like, like they couldn't believe it. Right. But luckily on our patrol vessel, I carry life jackets for all sizes. So I had an infant one, which had a handle on it. You know, if the kid falls in, it's from zero to 30 pounds. So very tiny babies. And I gave it to them to keep. To keep. Yeah. That's so, very generous of you in the Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah. So we have some that were donated to our agency that we can disperse to people. But, you know, I only carry so many on my boat. And if I loan them to everyone, what if I respond right. to an accident? I have none to rescue people with. And, I mean, this is just, from, from my past experience, it, I, was, I was an adult before I spent, I mean, I, I spent time on boats as a Boy Scout, you know, mm -hmm. doing all the, the merit patches and stuff. But I was an adult before I spent time, like, around bodies of water on vessels with families. And it, I guess, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. It never occurred to me, because you just mentioned on this infant life jacket, it has yeah. grab handle. Yep. They also have leg straps, yes. right? Up until a certain size, yeah. infant, toddler, youth life jackets, yeah. they're strapped in so they can't lift up. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can put a young adult, life jacket on a big toddler but if they can't swim it's popping over their yeah, head they slip right yeah. out and so that's a good measurement tool for parents like if you're tr outfitting your kids with life jackets you know look at the weight requirement on there and you know fit them appropriately then have them put it on tighten all the straps and lift the pfd up by the shoulders, shoulders. and if they stay in it then it's a good one i've kind of been doing this thing on my own when i do certain pr events which i love to do is i'll do um life jacket races so i'll bring like an environmental police hat and then i'll have an adult and a youth life jacket and anyone can participate whoever puts the life jacket on and tightens it correctly with the fastest time wins the hat and nice. people love it <laughs> i did it at the at the springfield sportsman show and you know all the the hunters who were partaking in the alcohol would come over and they were just having a good time <laughs> they want doing that it. hat but it gets people to understand how life jackets fit. It gets them to put it on in an emergency, you know, a quick situation. So, I mean, it's it's win-win-win all around. The hunters are happen, hoping if they're wearing that hat when you approach them, you give them a pass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so we spent, you know, most of the program today talking about waterway enforcement mm -hmm. and now the off-highway vehicle enforcement. Um, but as we were walking in this morning, you were telling me briefly about another aspect of law enforcement for the environmental police, which is hunting regulations. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're working a case. Is it called poaching when it's out? Like it's Yeah, so poaching is kind of like any illegal take of wildlife. Uh, you know, people, when you say poaching, they always think out of season or like over bait or at nighttime. So yeah, we had... You know, another thing that's taken up a lot of our time this year is bears. And people, there's such conflict with bears trying to find food. You know, any wildlife, they want the easiest meal available. They're not going to chase down a turkey when they can just go sit under your bird feeder and eat, you know, the most high-calorie, dense stuff there is. So we had an incident where somebody um, this week had shot a bear. And we don't think there was any reason for it. There wasn't any property damage or anything. So... We're working on investigating that and you know these are big game species people come from all over massachusetts to hunt and they can't just be exterminated like rats it, when you told me on the way in here i i, I kind of shuddered when 
when you said it and now you, the way you just described it again i i'm not familiar with this so i would imagine that there are a limited number of exceptions where it is okay for a resident to shoot a bear yeah what are those exceptions so the first thing before you jump to lethal removal right. of an animal is you as a property owner have to take personal responsibility for your property so Everyone this day and age has chickens. Everyone gets backyard chickens and bears love to eat chickens. Or we see a lot of people with beehives or bird feeders. Um, so if you're gonna, you know, take part or engage in any of these activities, you gotta have personal responsibility. You gotta get electric fencing. And go down to Tractor Supply in Pittsfield and look at the electric fencing. You can do it for less than like $300. And it's very, very effective for bears and, you know, deer and other animals. Um, so if somebody is truly having property damage, like occasionally we have um, livestock killed by bears or they're trying to break into a home, you can euthanize that animal, but there's certain reporting requirements. And the only thing I can say is if you kill a bear and we show up, there better be damage. You can't just kill a bear because it was the edge of your yard or you're sick of it walking through because it's not warranted. Okay. It's their yard first. <laughs> yeah, and they're coming there for a reason. So they're trying to get some food resource. And if you keep, mitigate the reason. Yeah, exactly. And I say if you kill that animal, but you don't remove the food, you're just, it's like treating the symptom and not the disease, right? Because you're going to keep drawing bears in. And that's not the only bear in your neighborhood. You know there's more. What's the penalty for unlawful taking of a bear? Um, they're pretty steep, and actually our, our restitution values and fines for a criminal take of a bear out of season, which I would charge this day and age, is around, you know, $5,000. Wow. And, you know, we would seize any hunting implement that you took that animal with. And it, correct, me if I'm, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I worked a case with Glenn, if EPOs work a case like that, in our particular case, I don't, I don't even remember what it was. They took a shot at a coyote or something mm -hmm. when they were in a deer stand you can also take like lifelong action against their hunting license and in some cases their ltc right yeah we can petition the court for that stuff there's very certain crimes that you know it's included with that like i had um i think it was two years ago now i had a hunter coming out um he was hunting bear he came out two hours after you know the the hunting hours had ended and he was intoxicated so I charged him criminally, and he was locked and loaded, walking around with a 50 caliber muzzle loader. Said he fell asleep in the tree stand, but we and we know what the issue was. So that could be very dangerous. I Meaning, 50 caliber yeah. muzzle loader could have shot himself or somebody else. Charged him criminally and ended up getting um, his license for one year. But the next time it happens or something along the lines, it'll be much longer. So significant penalties. Yeah. Okay, we've got a few minutes left, and we've been trying to stay on point with our final questions. Are you working this weekend? Yes, you I got, am. You got patrols all weekend? Uh, I'm not going to give specifics, but I will be <laughs> underway in my region <laughs> dealing with boating issues and at the boat ramps. Well, then, we know what you'll be doing this weekend, and we appreciate it. Yes, and actually, okay. Pittsfield, a Pittsfield officer is going to join me on one of the patrols, so awesome. we'll be out there. We're not going to say when. Nope. Not specifically Surprise. where. Just do the right thing. Yep. Do the right thing. Have all your safety equipment. Don't be boating while intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And you'll uh, enjoy a pleasant visit from our maritime patrol. Yeah, we make them as quick. You know, I, I don't try to take up too much time and go through the safety equipment and the registration very quickly. That's when we it. get off the air, I may ask you for the times and locations. If I can <laughs> get permission, I may grab my gear and come see you. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. All right. How about you, Lieutenant? Plans for the weekend? Oh, probably driving somewhere cool in the area. Somewhere cool. Somewhere cool. I don't know. Okay. Cool as in like temperature wise, you're going to try to get into the no. woods or just somewhere. Just somewhere interesting. Chic and funky. Somewhere interesting. Make it up as we go along. Somewhere you haven't been before? <clears throat> uh, that's the plan. Okay. Have you been out? Excuse me. <clears throat> have you been out to the new treehouse in Deerfield? Oh, yes. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> that, that's, that's a drive worth making. I'm trying to get to the... Uh, well, I haven't been in. I've been in the parking lot. Oh, you've got to go in. If, if, if you know, look, we can talk about their, their varieties, but the on-premise pizza is definitely worth the trip. The one on the Cape's on my list, too. You can do that while you're out there and spend enough time out there. I don't know what I'm going to do this weekend. I don't know. This is the first weekend 
in probably six months that I'm just like going into the weekend and like I have no commitments. Just go with the flow, do what I want to do, mm-hmm. sleep in, get to church, just just try to do it. All right. You have been listening to, excuse me again. <coughs> you have been listening to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Lieutenant, do we have a guest for next weekend? I don't believe we're live next week. Okay. Um, so coming back in two weeks for another new episode, we'll have an archived episode next week. Until then, be safe, be healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10 8. <laughs>